Hello, everybody. I'm back again. We're doing part six and the last part of uh, Worship, What Is It? And I think almost everybody in the country has been a little bit uh, too cold and too snowy and too icy. And we're looking forward to having some warmer weather. <clears throat> but anyway, in part one, we talked about um, what worship is and what it's not and why it's important. And in part two, we talked about the worst worship leader in heaven. And we talked about worshiping in vain and worshiping in spirit and truth. And in part three, we talked about renewing our sense of God's magnificence. And when we do that, it always prompts us to worship him. <clears throat> in part four, we talked about worship in heaven and physical demonstrations of worship that the Bible talks about. And in part five, we talked about our heart attitudes in worship. So to conclude, this week we're talking about worshiping God when we're struggling or when we're in a crisis. And we're also going to talk about why, why your worship team at your church might or might not do the songs that you really like, your favorite songs that you love so much. So we're going to talk about that first. And uh, I took this quote out of a book, I believe, but I don't remember where I took it from. So the exact wording is not mine, but I thought it was really good. <clears throat> it says, many current popular worship songs are written for large gatherings and megachurches and promoted generally through tours, albums, conferences, festivals, and on the radio. On the radio, it's got to grab you with an upbeat hook a big lift, and also has to be entertaining. On an album, album, it's got to best suit and push the artist's uh, vocal range, have fresh and interesting arrangements, and all of these things make for uh, fabulous recordings but don't necessarily translate to usable songs in the average church. And a lot of people don't really realize that, that the songs that they hear um, maybe on YouTube or on uh, Pandora or uh, um, the radio that they really love, they might not really make suitable songs for uh, a worship service in a church. And so I'm going to kind of explain that to you. <clears throat> if, you're look, if you look at songs that are produced by the Christian music industry and are listened to by Christians, uh, a lot of times we find a couple of things. Uh, one thing that um, I noticed right off is uh, they have very, very bizarre vocal ranges. Uh, they're very talented singers, and they ha can uh, sing like a 10 to 15, even 18-note vocal range, which is far beyond what an average uh, singer, an average uh, person in a church congregation can sing. Um, an over, if you'll notice, an overwhelming number of songs that you hear worship songs are have male leaders, and an overwhelming people number of people in church are women. Unfortunately, um, when songs are recorded, unless it's a live recording, the tracks are often done and redone and redone and redone until the sound is exactly uh, what they're looking for, and that doesn't happen in a church service. It can't happen. Um, the quality of the instruments and vocals is enhanced by uh, professional sound engineers. 
And the singers, musicians, and sound engineers are usually full-time paid professionals, and that's not very often the case in churches. And it is also accepted in many Christian circles to have uh, non-Christian professional singers, musicians, and sound people on uh, church worship teams and in the worship industry to get the perfect sound. And often people mistake that perfect sound, just that perfect, oh, just it sounds so lovely and perfect. They, they mistake that perfection for the anointing of God. So uh, those are just a few things that I've noticed over the years and I've picked up. So um, let's see. Um, how a church chooses which songs to sing is a lot different than how a, the Christian music industry chooses songs to publish. So um, I'm going to go over a few things that uh, we at Summit Church and other churches use to choose songs. And I think that you'll find it interesting because you've probably never thought about it before. <clears throat> so um, in looking at these things, uh, we find that a worship leader who is really thoughtful sees um, the worship time at church as not a concert, but it's supposed to be like a team sport. It's supposed to be something that everybody's supposed to be able to be involved in. So when we pick worship songs, they can't be something that the worship team can do really good, but the congregation can't attempt to do well. So all songs that are done in a church service need to be something that that everyone in the congregation should be able to comfortably be able to sing. The first and most important thing um, that I look at are the lyrics of a song. The lyrics, first of all, have to, if it's a worship song, they have to be scriptural. Do you know that there's worship songs, praise and worship songs, or Christian songs that are written that are not even scriptural? Um, yes, that is true. They don't go along with the Bible. They uh, are just songs that somebody wrote that they thought were good or they thought had good meaning, but they're not really based on the Bible. So that's the first thing I look at. If it's not, if it doesn't go along with the Bible, then we just don't sing them. There was a song that was written um, a few years ago that there was a lot of controversy about. And one of the lines was, so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. So it was, you know, basically saying that God meets us with a sloppy wet kiss. And it was you know, a lot of people really loved it, and a lot of people really hated it, but it wasn't really scriptural. Scriptural, And when you find a song with lyrics like this, um, really, when you get down to it, it's going to be a lot more of a distraction than it is going to uh, be a help to people in turning their thoughts to the Lord. So um, I wouldn't use those lyrics at our church because... Um, it, I would find it kind of inappropriate, but other churches have used it, but in our church, I would find it inappropriate. And actually, the people that produced the song, I believe, gave different lyrics that were acceptable uh, that you could use and still uh, use the song legally if you used different lyrics. Another thing that I looked at look at is, um, do the lyrics flow freely and make sense? Are they comfortable to say or sing? Um, you know, like in poetry or, or, or things like that, things can flow freely or they can kind of be hard to say or hard to sing or not make any sense really when you're saying them. Um, 
And so we want to make sure that the lyrics actually make sense, that grammatically they make sense, that people aren't trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean, or that doesn't make any sense, or, you know, that the sentence structure is such that people understand what you're talking about. It sounds kind of involved, but, you know, those things are really important. People need to be understanding what they're singing to put their whole hearts into it. <clears throat> Another thing that I look at um, in choosing a worship song is um, try to be careful that there's not too many words. When you're uh, worshiping the Lord, you want to be able to at some point maybe close your eyes and not be stuck on the projection screen the whole time or in the hymn book. And you want to be able to just concentrate on the Lord and, and be able to lift up your hands and worship the Lord and not be thinking about the words all of the time. And so I like to pick songs that don't have too many words, too many different words in it. Um, you know, they can't have five verses and three different choruses and a bridge and a refrain and a couple different endings because you can just get lost in the song and not not really know where you're at. And and, it, and especially it can be really hard for the worship team to to lead people if there's so many different things going on. So simplicity in songs I feel is very important. Um, a song like "What a Beautiful Name It Is," "What a Beautiful Name It Is," um, it repeats the same thing. It might say, "What a beautiful name it is." What a, I can't even remember the words now. I'm sorry, it's a bad example because I'm, I didn't write it down. But um, it, it follows the same train of thought, so it's really easy. Um, and a lot of the choruses in the 1970s were so easy because uh, they were so simple and that helped people to worship the Lord so easily because the lyrics were so simple. Um, the lyrics also need to be predominantly God-focused. Um, a lot of songs that are written right now are focused a lot, a whole, whole lot on me, 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 how I feel, how I feel, you know, and... Um, that's not really a worship song when we're thinking about so much about ourselves and and um, so I try to focus a lot of songs upon the Lord, make sure the songs are focused on the Lord. And also in a church service, I want to pick out songs that are not don't start out really depressing. You know, there's a lot of really really good songs that the song really takes you on a journey on how God has helped us. But the song starts out really in a in a low point, a real uh, hard point in the person's life. But in a church service, when you have a congregation singing, you don't really want to start with the whole congregation singing something like, oh, I'm so depressed, I'm so sad, I'm so lonely, because, you know, that's kind of a bad note to start a worship service on, or, or you know, it's just, just not a good idea to do that. So... Uh, be, I, I'm always careful uh, about songs that start out really depressing. Then as far as the music, um, the music itself needs to be appropriate for congregational singing. Um, a lot of the um, mass-produced or the, the produced worship songs are not in a key that's con uh, uh, conducive to congregational singing. Usually in it's, it's in a key that's much too high for a general congregation to sing. So um, we uh, usually have to put it in a lower key because the highest notes that 
are sung uh, on the recording are way, 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 way higher than anybody in a normal congregation could sing. They're, they're geared toward recording artists. So the only problem with that is a lot of times changing the key, making it in a lower key, really affects the way that the song sounds. And that's just something that we have to deal with, but that is just a fact of life. So, as I said, uh, the song has to be in a vocal range that people can reach. And many of the newer songs, uh, by new I mean the last 20 or 30 years, have songs that are, in a, are 10 to 15, even a, a higher uh, note vocal range that is just beyond what a general congregation can sing. So no matter what key you play it, it, it's not singable. It's not singable for a normal worship leader, and it's not singable for a congregation. And um, that makes it really hard because there's so many just really beautiful, really wonderful worship songs that just aren't singable uh, by a church congregation. And it's very sad. And so uh, what we do, we prefer a, a vocal range of eight full notes, eight uh, steps, um, we go to 10, but we don't go beyond that because if the worship leader is straining to sing it, the congregation is definitely going to be straining to sing it. And if you're straining to sing a song in a worship service, it's not, not going to be good. Um, then another thing uh, that is a problem with worship songs uh, that are uh, produced for the worship industry is Many times, like on the last chorus or someplace on the song, the worship leader will will sing a, the, a certain chorus, the last chorus, a whole octave higher. And it makes the song go to this fabulous crescendo, and it just, just elevates the whole song, and it's so wonderful and so perfect, but congregations can't sing that, and most worship teams can't sing that. And it's wonderful if they can, and, and if the worship team can sing it in the congregation, there's enough people in the worship team that sing it the way, you know, in the original key, the congregation can follow. But um, a lot of times that can't happen. And so the song uh, loses some of the luster it had when it was uh, recorded, and uh, that's hard for the congregation to understand why that happened. I know a lot of times people will want us to sing a certain song and it's just never going to sound the same as a, a song that's produced by recording artist or in a, a live recording with a massive choir. Another thing that um, we uh, choose not to do is um, long instrumental solos that draw attention to a, you know, a, a solo instrument like a long drum solo just to enjoy the drums. <laughs> because we always want the focus to be on the Lord. So those are some some uh, little hints about uh, why we choose songs we choose and why worship teams choose certain songs to do because if, if, they're, if they're really proactive about getting the congregation involved, um, choosing songs that are easily sung, that have uh, words that are easy to remember, that are really focused on God and not, not on ourselves are, are the main things that we do. And um, that now I'm going to talk about worshiping God through our struggles. And this is something that uh, we all come across. We come to a real low point and we feel 
Uh, sometimes we just feel so apart from God, so detached from God, so away from God. But it, when, in times like this, it really takes faith. We have to use our faith to worship the Lord. We have to focus on God, focus on his, problem, uh, his promises, and not on our circumstances and not on our problems. And a great example of that is um, in Paul and Silas uh, when they were in prison. They were attacked by a mob. They were beaten mercilessly, and they were put in prison. And um, back then, put in prison was different than it is now. It was underground. It was uh, dirt floors, no indoor plumbing. Um, it was cold, damp, dark. Um, so just think about that as I'm reading this. It's Acts 16, 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, escape. so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So just imagine being underground in a place that had no indoor plumbing, so it smelled um, it was dark, it was cold, it was wet. Um, they were beaten, they were hurting, they were bleeding, just all kinds of terrible distress that they were in. And they had to break through all of that and turn their attention upon the Lord. And they had every human right to just be discouraged, depressed, uh, despondent, um, just just beside themselves. And in verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So they were worshiping God in their distress. And other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. So... Paul and Silas made a decision to put their faith and their trust in the Lord despite overwhelmingly horrible, horrible, deplorable, painful, and uncomfortable circumstances. They made a decision to put their trust in the Lord, to worship them with all their hearts, to make an outward sign of their faith by singing and praising him. And a miracle happened. The whole prison was shaken in their chains Chains came off, the prison doors flew open, and do you know what happened? The jailer and his whole family got saved, turned their lives to the Lord, they got baptized, and a church was started. Isn't that awesome? There's a song that uh, kind of reflects the feeling here. It's called The Solid Rock. It was written in 1834 by Edward Mote. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then verse 2, when darkness veils his lovely face. I think that's what was happening to Paul and Silas. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. In verse 3, 
His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. So we need to just hang on to Christ, the solid rock, no matter what our circumstances, just hold on, hang on, and just declare his goodness and start um, just acting in faith upon the promises he's given you and just worship him with all of your heart. And one thing you'll find when you read the book of Psalms is uh, the writers of the book of Psalms were often in distress. And they start out many of the Psalms with, you know, God, where are you? <laughs> Things aren't going too good down here. I need you. And by the end of the Psalm, they've they've uh, praised God. They've reminded themselves of God's goodness. And um, they've just, they, they've turned their mourning into dancing, so to speak. So I'm going to read Psalm 42. And it's a good example of what to do when you are in distress. It says, it's Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? See, David was being haunted and taunted and hunted and persecuted. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how I used to be, how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sounds of great celebration. See, David was mourning for something that used to be. He used to have a better life than he had right, right at the writing of this psalm. Things used to be better. A lot of times we mourn and grieve for things the way they used to be. He says in verse 5, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander about in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Does it sound like us sometimes? We just don't know what what's going on, why God is... Uh, have, we feel like God's forgotten us. But just let's look at this last verse. Uh, verse 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So that's what we need to do. We need to praise him when we're discouraged, when we're uh, down in the dumps, when things don't seem to be going right. We need to turn to God. We need to worship him. And we need to do it by faith because that's the only way we can do it when we feel so bad. And to close this um, this series on worship, what is it? I'm going to read my favorite scripture on worship. It's Romans 1, uh, Romans 12, I'm sorry, Romans 12, verse 1. 
It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Oh, I find that such a such an important scripture because so many times we think just singing on Sunday morning is worship. But every day, what we do every day, giving our bodies to God is a holy and living sacrifice is truly the way to worship him. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So as we close out this series, I encourage you to offer your bodies up to the Lord as a pure and holy sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice to him, the kind he will find acceptable and live your life according to the word of God and honor him in everything you do. And that would just be so sweet to the Lord and so precious to the Lord. And that will bring him worship more than anything else. And I just want to say, God bless you. Thanks for listening to all these. And if you have anything that you would like us to pray for, we just ask that you would uh, send us a Facebook message or uh, leave a, a, a message at church or send us an email and we would be glad to pray for you. Bye-bye.